When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon P.K. Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. Brand new dad edition. The return of BK edition. Told he wasn't going to be gone for long. Uh, BK, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the Parenthood. How are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to be here, my friend. Uh, baby Luca is officially a uh, newest addition to the Rockham Nation and to the Mizzou family. So um, things are going well at home. Baby boy is happy and healthy. Mom is hot, happy and healthy. Uh, and it's good to be officially be back with all of my duties here at Rockham Nation now. And again, the dad roster on Rockham expands by one, and we just add another, and I'm going to add another until everybody at Rockham Nation is a dad, whether by actual physical parenting or just a mental state. Sure. I am a dad. Um, but hey, let's talk about football, because you are back, and I had, uh, everybody had to suffer 25 minutes of me talking uninterrupted last time, so I figured this would be a great chance uh, for you to get a couple words in on a couple things. Number one, the recruiting explosion that you were absent for last time. And number two, where you think the recruiting class stands right now. So I'll get out of the way and educate the people. Sure. Uh, let's go. Let's get into this. First of all, very nice that Missouri has joined, you know, the rest of college football in the recruiting thing for the 2024 class. Uh, that is a, a very good positive sign. Uh, secondarily, they got some good players. Like, that's probably the most important part of this is like, you go down, and we all know the story of what they're doing right now with St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, the trio from down there that is coming to Mizzou. James Madison reminds me, we talked a little bit about this, of Bud Sasser. Nick Rodriguez, I think, might be the best player that they've got so far in this class. He's the linebacker from St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, and you just look even further into it, like Cam Dooley, super fun player. Curious to see where he ends up. Uh, Cameron Keys, I think he is super underrated on rivals. He reminds me a lot of what Mizzou was able to get in Enos Rakestraw. Long, very thin, but we'll see how he projects at the next level. Brian Huff is incredibly athletic as a linebacker. So I like that they are betting, again, on a lot of the athletes that we've been talking about in the past. One thing that it is becoming increasingly clear that this staff really likes and enjoys and appreciates and recruits is guys that project based upon their measurables to be good players at the next level. Even if they're do not dominant high school players, they believe they can teach them the, the the football side of things. They need athletes that they can get onto the field that in the SEC will not be overmatched by the guys that they're growing up against. And that's what most of these players fit into. So I like the, the type of player that they were able to get. Now they just need more of them. 
We've got 12 commits so far. That ranks them 58th by rivals in the recruiting class. That is right at the bottom of the SEC so far. Um, but if you're going by by star quality, they've got a three-star average. So it's not like they're getting a bunch of two-stars, guys that are really low on their board. And Nate, this is not on the commitment side of things, but if you're kind of reading the tea leaves, it sounds like they're starting to trend in the right direction with two of the best players in the state as well. So things are heading in a much better direction than the last time that we talked on this podcast about Mizzou recruiting. I agree. Yeah, to to your point, uh, kind of sticking it in the eye of all the uh, Missouri-St. Louis Cardinals fans uh, that exist out there. Uh, but Ryan Wingo and Williams Nuanari, um, Eli Drinkwitz tweeted out a W flag, which is the W flag that the Cubs fly when they uh, win or lose. I, I don't even know what they do anymore, but... A uh, very clever idea of trying to call attention to the fact that Missouri is very much in the race for both five stars. Um, if you get both of those guys, number one, huge victory. Number two, this is a top 25 recruiting class, maybe even top 15. Uh, and if you even get one, it's probably still a top 35. So I don't know where they stand personally, but it sounds like there's positive momentum on both. And boy, BK, can you imagine getting both of those guys, how we would just belt with ecstasy if that were to happen i mean yeah i I can exactly i can absolutely imagine what that would be like because this would be like having two of luther burden and one of them comes at a much more premium position like we can say whatever we want to about wide receiver and it matters at the collegiate level don't get me wrong but you know what matters more having a dominant defensive end and if they were able to get that guy out of the lee summit area that is sweet man that is really, really delicious. Who's the best defensive lineman recruit to arrive on campus at Mizzou is blank. Would it have been Beckner? Well, are we counting Sheldon Richardson out of JUCO? I guess that that's probably the way that you would go, yeah. But, like, out of high school, let's say. Sheldon or Terry Beckner, yeah. One of those. Those are probably the top two. So this would... This would exceed that, right? I mean, this he, guy's the top three player in the country. Yeah. So to to be able to get that category of player, that criteria, that is super impressive. I will give Eli Drinkwitz all of the credit if he's able to do that. I mean, the last blue chip defensive lineman that, I mean, let's say defensive end because it was Trey Williams, right? Who's the last so, blue yeah. chipper? Um, and look, man, like you need elite skill position players. You need elite quarterbacks. You need all that stuff on the outside. If you want to win consistently, you need elite recruiting on the lines, which is where Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Texas and all those guys whip everybody's butts. They get professional linemen. So Missouri was able to do that, you know, in the mid-aughts and 2010s by coaching those guys into elite level play. But if you can't do that, get the best ones. And it's, it's by far time that we do that because Missouri's best teams had elite offensive line play. So, man, I, uh, I'm i not going to read too much into it. I'm not going to get my hopes up because, you know, you know me. I'm a hurt Missouri fan. I, I, I cannot let myself have hope until it actually happens. Um, very cool, though. The amount of buzz, the the energy around it was very cool. A lot By the way, good. we forgot about one recent four-star defensive lineman. Do you remember who it is? Oh, DJ Black out of Boonville. Another one. Yeah, I forgot. Well, there's another one. Interior defensive lineman. Marcus oh, Marquise Caracio. Yeah. Man. 
So Mizzou has had a few of these guys, but they haven't been the top three players in the nation, though. Yeah, I was about to say there's there's a little bit of a difference between getting a guy that's ranked among the elite of the elite and getting a top 150 guy. Like Beckner was rated as the 36th best player in his class. Um, to give you some context, Luther Burden was fourth. Sheldon Richardson was fourth. DGB, of course, was at the top of his list. And right now, what we're talking about with Mizzou in this class is a top three player. This would be the the second time ever that Mizzou has been able, if they're able to do it, uh, has been able to sign a top three player in their class. The first, of course, was Doriel Greenbeckham. Just a different different kind of player that we're discussing here. Really is. And isn't it weird that Missouri is one of a handful of programs that signed the number one football recruit and basketball recruit in history? There's not a lot of teams that do that. Yeah. But Missouri's one of them. So anyway, uh, very exciting times uh, on the recruiting trail after some quiet. Again, nothing is, you know, pen to paper, but hey, you can at least get excited about it. That's what Eli Drinkwitz has done. He's made us excited about recruiting again. Uh, so that's nice. Speaking of that, Missouri did actually get a commitment. Uh, now it's not from a five-star player. It's not from a skill position player. It's from a punter, baby. Punters are people too, and you need them on your team. So it's good that uh, Eli Drinkwitz and his staff got one. Uh, Eric Link gets to add another leg to his arsenal of kickers and specialists with Will Safras, I think is how you say his last name. He's the punter out of Johnston, Iowa. Uh, committed on July 19th. He is unranked, as most specialists are at yeah. this point. Uh, very rare you get a two-star or three-star kicker or punter in July. Uh, usually that stuff kind of comes out in the wash once they have their senior season. But uh, I have not watched a, a single second of tape on Will Saffris, the punter. I'm just glad we have one. What are your thoughts on this, gentlemen? Yeah, d- don't don't watch any tape on the punter, please. <laughs> please do not do that. Uh, it's too the, short. The thing about kickers and punters is that nobody wants to talk about them until it's time to talk about them. And so if you have a guy that prevents you from talking about them, that's probably a good thing because we want to spend the least amount of time possible discussing it. Uh, We had that with punters over the years here at Mizzou, and recently they've been coming under a little bit more scrutiny. Um, I would also say on the kicking side of things, like you saw good Harrison Mevis versus bad Mevis last year. It, It can make a huge difference. So stuff like this will go under the radar until you get into the season. You've got a massive decision to make at the you know your side of the 40 yard line you decide to punt and your punter is able to get him inside of the five or ten yard line right that's a huge advantage when it comes to field position meanwhile if you got a bad punter shanks it now the other team has it at their 35 40 yard line and everybody's furious about the decision to punt it in that spot so um, it can make a massive difference once you get into the season, but it's not something that I'm going to spend any time whatsoever beyond what we just did talking about at this point in the offseason. Well, we did just get out of talking season, SEC media days, our last week. And of course, every single SEC coach and a, a revenue of three players got to go through the circus that is known as SEC media days and talk to everybody who gives any two cents about, about the sport at all. So here's the good news. Not a whole lot came out of it. And I promise you, Tiger fans, it's okay if you're not talked about a lot coming out of media days. Um, Gary Pinkle thrived on boring. He lived in boring. He would pour himself some boring soup, cuddle up in his boring bed, pull up his boring sheets and eat it. Like this, this is what he wanted. He's like, don't call any attention to him. Call attention to the team and how they're going to do well. And Eli Drinkwitz, 
after getting kind of slapped by the ruler earlier this year, more or less just read out the roster and answered some very dull questions as plainly as he could, which Bravo, that is what you need to do to just to escape without any kind of massive backlash from, from the seriously online folks. So there is one little piece of information that came out that was very interesting. Before we get there, Nate, yes. since you mentioned how um, Mizzou was not really discussed at Media Days, did you see the projections that came out of Media Days? I did, yeah. What did you think of it? For the listeners that did not see them, they have Mizzou projected to finish second to last in the SEC East. Only Vanderbilt um, was picked behind Mizzou. They did not, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think they had a single player on the first team. Not on first team. Three on second and a handful on third. Your thoughts? I don't care. <laughs> this this is the one that matters the least. So, I mean, all of these preseason polls, it's all based off of how let, they did last year. Let me ask this differently. Not, not what do you think about the fact that that was the case. I'm with you. Like, I don't care about the disrespect angle thing, but... Do you think it's accurate? Like, how do you feel about that relative to your own expectations? So I forget who did it. I know a couple of people have done it. I think Gabe DeArmond also put one out where he said he like went through like how the media predicts where certain teams are going to finish and how those teams actually finished. Right. And for the most part, the media has been fairly accurate with Missouri. Uh, do I think Missouri is going to finish sixth? Absolutely not. They are in the same division as Florida and Vanderbilt. And maybe this are, these are famous last words, but I do not anticipate Missouri losing to both of those teams. And simple, you know, mathematical conference rankings, like, they're going to be both of those guys. I don't think they're going to, Vandy or, or Florida's going to do much of anything else. Now, I don't think Missouri's going to be sixth. I would put them third, possibly second, possibly second. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Are we getting optimistic Nate this year? We are because he, Eli Drinkwitz has to be good this year. He has no, 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 no. Set that aside for a second. Get, get out of here with that. I know that is not the reason why you're picking them to be second or third. It is not because Drink is going to be motivated. No, 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 no. Tell me more about this. Why, why, is, why is Nate Edwards actually legitimately optimistic on the 2023 Missouri Tigers? Because that's the most optimistic I've heard you since we've been doing the show on this team. The quarterback situation in the SEC is a shambles. Absolute shambles. And what is Missouri really supposed to be really good at? Defense. What do they have that other SEC teams don't? A returning quarterback with experience. Like, I know there's holes in the offensive line. I know the running backs aren't anything to write home about, at least the start, the projected starters. I know the receivers are all potential at this point. And I know, I know a defense, a really good defense can regress in one year. We saw it from 14 to 15 or 15 to 16, I should say. And we saw it from 07 to 08. These things happen. But they tend to not happen when you return so much. And because the rest of the SEC is getting hard resets at the position that counts and everybody is dealing with some glaring weakness... I know Missouri's got its warts too, but they they're bringing the whole thing back and they're prepared. I I expect third, and I think they can do that. And if you beat Tennessee, then I say you get second. Am I am I off here? I I didn't know you were going to be that aggressive with it. 
So I'm a little taken aback. I, I would be pretty surprised by second. That is where it comes down to two things to me. I, I feel like the entire season really comes down to two things. One, is this offensive line as improved as we think it is? Because I think the offensive line is actually good. Like, maybe that's aggressive, but... On paper, I it should be good. they should be pretty good. Yep. And we haven't been able to say that about a Mizzou offensive line since... 18? 2018? Yeah, I mean, it's been like five years since we've talked about a Mizzou offensive line as being a an asset as opposed to a liability. So that's huge if it's true. But we need to see that first before we can really believe it. And then two, and most importantly, and this is what everybody's going to be discussing all offseason, and there's really no answers until we see it in the game. What's quarterback situation look like, man? Like, is what we saw at the end of last year real for Brady Cook? And maybe more importantly, can he even take a step beyond what we saw at the end of last year, now that he's healthy. Because last year, we saw him figure it out with his legs. Can he figure it out with his arm? And how much is he able to do this year without Dominic Lovett? Because so much of what he did, what the what Mizzou really did in general through the year, was just Dom Lovett, go be great. And for the majority of the season, Dom Lovett was pretty damn great. You what? Can Burden do that? I think he can. I think he's capable. I like, I like the fact that he's going to be in the slot this year. But, And this is not to demean Luther Burden at all, I promise. But it's going to sound that way. Dom Lovett did real wide receiver stuff last year. Where he was like running real routes and doing stuff that like most wide receivers in the SEC or in the NFL will do. Burden hasn't really done that yet. We haven't seen that from him. And so we got to see that first before I can believe that he can be a true replica of what we saw last season from Lovett. And they need somebody to replace most of what he did last year. I mean, we were asking the same questions about Dom Lovett heading into this season. And the thing about Eli Drinkwitz is he tends to have his slot receivers feast. Now, this is not a Drinkwitz offense. This is a Kirby Moore offense. Or they they the same thing, dude. Same but it's stuff. like, I don't care. <laughs> like, it's it's... He, he is still going to have a lot of say over how this offense goes. And he hired a guy who has very similar philosophical uh, ideals that they share with each other. So I'm not saying that the slot receiver position, as long as Drinkwood's here, is just an automatic 800-yard guy. But I'm not not saying it. And you got one of the top receivers from the past recruiting class that's going to be running it. I have no, no concern at all. My actual concern with the receivers, if we're going to talk about this, is – is Theo Weiss the guy that we think he can be? And is there a counterpart to Luther Burden when he's inevitably going to get bracketed? That's going to be someone like a Mekhi Miller, who I think could have a great year. It's going to be someone like a Dennis Jackson, who is looking for redemption but hasn't played in two years. Like, for so long, Missouri is... Dr. Manning. Can Manning come in as a true freshman? That would be and great. Take the... Like, he doesn't need to be amazing. But just can you can you take advantage of the opportunities that are there when yes. you've got legit one-on-one coverage? Can you do that? It's hard as a freshman to be expected to do something like that, but he's got the size and the speed where you think maybe it's possible for somebody like that. It just feels like Eli Drinkwitz has three years here. There's been one really good offensive player, and then everyone else is just, you know, whatever. Yep. And, and maybe that's the quarterback's problem. I, I don't know, but, like, it's been – Either Larry Roundtree, Tyler Beatty, or Dom Lovett, and then just, a, you know, that's it. And then everyone else is just kind of bits here and there. I think Mikai Miller could be a huge impact. I would love Josh Mann to step in day one and be just lights out. 
I'd love Theo Weiss to finally obtain what we thought he could be coming out of high school. So, like, offense is nebulous. I understand that. Defense could potentially regress. I understand that. But I, I, I don't believe that's going to be the case until I see it. And just because there seems to be a regression across the SEC, I think Missouri could step in, put their foot in there. And this is the type of year where the Tigers make a huge jump, scare the pants out of somebody, and maybe make a run at the division. That's all. If I told you right now, Nate, you can hit a button, and you do this year what Illinois did last year, which is 8-4 and four overall. The losses that you have are all by one score, every single one of them, and you finish 5-4 and four in the SEC. Are you hitting that button, or are you pressing your luck and believing that you can do better without hitting it? So you're asking me if I'm getting the Barry Odom special, right? Because uh, I mean, dating year three. Um. Yeah, I would take it, frankly. Because Eli Drink, I put zero stock in what happened in 2020, but I'll give it to you anyway. We have got five and five, six and seven, six and seven. How refreshing would eight and four, eight and five, how refreshing would that be? Yeah. Some actual movement instead of going even for the regular season? What a breath of fresh air that would be. That would, I know he's not under a ton of pressure, but that would take some pressure off of Eli Drinkwitz and this staff to go, okay, we know what we're doing. We can do this. Um, I I would lock it in. Would you? I think I would. And a big part of this is the losses. Like the way that Illinois lost this year, last year, I think it also give, gave me as an Illinois fan, if I was one, even more confidence moving forward about what the team and what the program is headed towards. Because all of their losses were one score. They lost to Michigan and they should have won that game by two points. And I know their their schedule was sharp and soft last year. But like if you told me Mizzou this year, the only game that they lost by multiple scores was against Georgia on the road in Athens, I'd feel pretty good about the the direction that the program is headed. In the moment, those losses are infuriating. Like if you asked any Illinois fan last year how they felt about losing to Indiana on the road the way that they did, they were all furious. Because that game was right there for the taking. Same thing was true against Purdue and Michigan State. And as I just mentioned, they should have won that game against Michigan. But they leave the season at 8-4 and four feeling like, hey, I feel like we've got our coach, you know? And I feel like our program, despite the fact that they're not recruiting at a crazy high level, they feel like their program's heading in the right direction with Bielema as their head coach. And then today, by the way, they Jim Leonard as a senior analyst for the defensive side of the football just an outstanding hire for them. So, like, things are just, they're heading in the right direction, and if you can get a guy like Jim Leonard to buy into what you're selling, it means that other people are also buying into the messaging at your program. They believe that there's a reason to jump on board. If Mizzou went 8-4 and this year and they did the same thing that Illinois did last year, you're going to be able to hire some of the best and the brightest coaches. They're going to want to be a part of it because they'll see things headed in the right direction. The other thing, maybe this is most important, helps with recruiting, too. Like kids want to see a program that is at first when it we saw this with Drinkwitz. When a coach is first hired, it's the excitement, right? This guy's gonna change things. And then you get three, four years in, and it becomes about this guy's doing things. And that's where Drinkwitz needs to be at the end of this year as he's selling this program to fans, to recruits, to boosters, et cetera. So if I, you you could sign me up for eight and four right now. I know it might feel somewhat underwhelming to some fans. I would sign up for it. I would do it right now. Eight and four would put you a solid third, if I had to guess. So I would take it. Um, 
So yeah, I, I don't know uh, if if this is me being optimistic. And I understand that bar is very low to clear. Uh, then guilty. I, I'm feeling optimistic. Um, what I guess on this? Where? Well, I was going to say where would you where would you plug Mizzou as far as preseason projections? And the SEC East, looking at the division, I would say fourth right now. Okay. I would say fourth. Um, Georgia and Tennessee. I, I got to see it before I believe that Mizzou can jump the, either of those teams. That's um, certainly not expecting it with Georgia, but Tennessee kind of, I, I would put it into that same criteria. And then between Kentucky and South Carolina, I, I would believe that one of those two programs will be ahead of Mizzou this year. Um, so I had to guess I'll, it's I'll say be Kentucky. You think they're receiving? I don't know what to make of Rattler. That's the thing. Rattler stinks. <laughs> That's a personal opinion. Plus, Kentucky just got their magical, beautiful offensive coordinator boy, Liam Cohen, back from the NFL, and they have probably the top, one of the top receiving cores in the SEC. I think. And Leary. And Larry came in. Yeah, and Larry he's, came a, in. he's a legitimately good quarterback. So. And Kentucky always has great defenses. So if 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 that's the situation, I would I would pick Kentucky over South Carolina. I would. That that would that would probably be the direction. And Mizzou plays at Kentucky this year, which yeah. So um, that would that would probably be the direction that I would go. I would say fourth. I think this is the first time that you've been more optimistic leading into the season than I yeah. am uh, Near. on Mizzou football. And I I really believe in this defense. By the way, I think this defense is good. If you could, you're betting all of your money right now, Nate, on one guy, one Mizzou player that will finish the season first team all SEC. Who are you betting? Oh. You got to be right. Your entire your mortgage depends upon it, and it can be the the slimmest of odds or the longest of odds, whatever you prefer. But you just got to guarantee one guy that's making all SEC first team. I want to be boring. Luther Burden. Think. Yep. Really. He's in the slot. Um, num, 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 num. He's going to feast. And we saw last year that the SEC did not respect our corners, our safeties, any of that. Because the defense, again, it's an effort by committee. Everybody gets a little bit of a piece. It's not really one standout. The rotations, the pressures from all over the place, you don't get someone who logs crazy numbers. I mean, Tyron Hopper was going to be your closest, and he didn't even get there. So, like, I don't think it's going to be a defensive player. It's probably going to be an offensive player if I had to bet. And who am I going to say? But the guy who makes the Dom leap, Luther Burden, first team. You mentioned the guy that I'm going with. Uh I'm going Hopper. Yeah. He just puts up so many numbers, dude. Like, he's going to put up sacks, pass deflections, tackles, TFLs. He fills up the box score so much that I think people are going to look at it at the end of the year and they're going to say a top 20-ish defense nationally with a guy that finished the year with, I don't know, 70 tackles, five sacks, and three interceptions. Like, that guy deserves to be on first-team All-SEC linebacker. So uh, I'll go with um, Tyron Hopper as my first-team All-SEC player. Okay. I hope it's true. I, I I mean, when was the last time Missouri had a linebacker as an All-Conference? Not All-American, but All-Conference. I mean, did Kentrell Brothers get that? Get that? I would think Kentrell Brothers did. Let me look that up real quick. But I, I have to. I think Brothers in its final year was considered to be All SEC. Yeah, he was first team All SEC and second team All American in fifteen. Okay, good, good. I don't know. I just I know that like national awards tend to 
look you over if you're not a title contender of any sort. Conference awards should be a little bit more localized, so you can get like a Vanderbilt, a couple of Vanderbilt players on there. Sorry, Van, I'm really picking on you today. I don't know why. Um, so like, I would like to think that's the case, but Missouri has had a lot of you know linebackers that, that get that, but Hopper especially, he's different. He needs to hit home on some of those pressures, by the way. Like, his his sack-to-pressure rate, incredibly skewed to the pressure side, which is good. You want that, but he needs to hit home a couple more times before he gets and the first the, the, the best part about this, pressure rate is more sustainable than sacks. So those pressures that happened last year, they suggest that over time, he is going to come down with even more of those sacks. So you would... It would lead you to believe, it would portend good things for one uh, Tyron Hopper in 2023. Especially if we don't have a defensive end who steps up. That's for a different show. Um, let's talk about the one interesting nugget that came out of SEC Media Days because it's just worth talking about because it's quarterback. Eli Drinkwitz went out there and said, Brady Cook is QB1 heading into fall camp. And oh, the takes. The takes started raining down. Uh, which is fine. He didn't say he was taking the first snaps. He wasn't saying he was going to be the starter all year. He just said that the guy who started every single game last year is going to go into fall camp as the presumed starter. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but BK, Sam Horn's been injured, didn't really participate in spring. Jake Garcia was the one guy who got some spring reps with Brady Cook sitting out. I mean, should we... Should we horse race this? Should we do projections on who's going to be the starting quarterback? Or what did you feel about about these comments? So I have been saying for a while now, I believe Brady Cook's going to be your starting quarterback in 2023. Same, yeah. I've just, I've always believed it. Garcia was interesting at Miami. I think he needed to really show some stuff. in spring. Like the fact that Drinkwitz did not name Garcia the leader in the clubhouse I think tells you everything you need to know about him. Because he had every opportunity, man. It was there for the taking. Horde was hurt. Um, you had... Cook was sitting out. Cook was sitting out. Like, he was the only guy. The only one that was there. And for him to not be able to take over that job or take over that role, I think tells you everything you need to know about their current level of excitement for Garcia. Um, With Cook and with Horn, the benefit is both of them are athletes. Like, they're both going to bring the mobility. They're both going to bring um, the the scrambling and just the designed runs as long as they're going to have those in the uh, in the playbook again this year. I think it would be great for Sam Warren to just win the job. Just no mistake about it. Gets into fall camp, has completely transitioned to the college game, has transitioned to what it means to be a college athlete, both with the classes and the taking care of his body and everything. And if that ends up happening, awesome. That is the best case scenario for Mizzou football for this year and for the long term. I would bet on Brady Cook. That's that's my horse that I would be betting on. I, I just... I think Brady Cook was better last year for a first-year starter than people are giving him credit for. And I think the fact that he is completely healthy now, I think that's the guy they're going to trust. I agree. I think this staff is going to give Sam Horn every opportunity to win it. I do not think that this is, 
oh, well, the job's open. And just as to say it, I don't think that at all. I think very similar to you, they they are wanting this athlete, this guy that they've brought on to come in and make a difference. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Brady Cook is a lot better than most people think he is. He's got 12, 13 games of experience. And we know how Drinkwitz and his staff are with older guys, with their guys. They know what they have, and they tend to go high ceiling over, you know, or high high floor over high ceiling. So I just, I think that's going to be it. But I'll say this. Whoever the quarterback is, as long as they are better than what Brady Cook was last year, even if it is Brady Cook, that's all you got to be. That's all you got to be. You just got to be better than that. Um and it was it was fine. It was it was a you know replacement level college quarterback performance, but Brady needs to make the leap, or Sam needs to overtake him. And if that happens, that that's all you're looking for. I I'm going to give you a list of names here, and I'm curious what when you hear this your impression is. Okay, of this list of quarterbacks. Okay, Jackson Dart. Jaden Daniels, Hinden Hooker, Matt Corral, Emory Jones, Kellen Mond, Josh Dobbs, Jalen Hurts, Chad Kelly, Dak Prescott, Johnny Manziel, Cam Newton, Tim Tebow. Your thoughts? I had a theme until we got to the end there. Now I don't know what to think. Uh, multi-year starters in the SEC? Those are all guys that threw for at least 2,700 yards and ran for 500 at some point in the SEC over the last 20 years. Okay. Brady Cook is on that list based on what he did last year. He is most similar in terms of his overall numbers from a year ago to a guy like Kellen Mond, probably. And is that like the ideal comparison? No, but he's not all that far off from Hinden Hooker either. Hinden Hooker, the, the difference was the touchdown passes. So if you're able to increase some of the efficiency numbers for Brady Cook this year, and you're able to get him to be a little better in the red zone, he's not that far away, man, from being the prototype of the quarterbacks that we're looking for here. So if the play calling is better, if this offensive line takes a step forward and that gives him a little bit more time to see things more clearly... If the wide receivers, instead of just having one guy that you can really trust, if they get three of them this year, I know people were down on Brady Cook, man, but like there is some reason for optimism here. There really is. It's not as if you're just going into the season and there's no hope at all because Brady Cook is your quarterback. There's reason to dream a little bit there. I don't know if the ceiling is like it's not winning a Heisman or anything, but can you win nine games with Brady Cook as your starter? I, I think it's possible. I think it's it's in his range of outcomes, at least. I agree. I agree. You know, I mean, his adjusted net yard average, which is basically given touchdowns, interceptions, sacks, yardage, accuracy, all that stuff. Put that in a gumbo. You come out. Basically, he's throwing for 6.2 yards per pass, but with everything put in there. That is fine. It is kind of middle of the road as far as like a college quarterback is going to go. It's starting caliber at least. Yeah. But like who else had that? Well, Aiden O'Connell had that at Purdue last year. He now plays for the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, so that's somebody. Will Levis, our, the golden boy, 
He's right there with the same past two years, 6.9, 6.4. Like, you, that is perfectly fine as long as you bring something else to the table, which is what he does. Yep. And he averages, also, yearly enough, 6.2 yards per rush. If you take out sacks uh, from last year's production, he had 734 yards on the ground. Now, obviously, sacks count and all that stuff, but, like, that's really good. That is good. That is really good. It's not Brad Smith, but like that is really good. So he's got the athleticism to be a threat in that way. And in the modern college game, you need your quarterback to be that or be mega accurate. So if you have a 65% completion quarterback, he better be able to run his ass off, which we have in Brady Cook. Yeah. He's he is the most average of average quarterback. Or was. Let me let me rephrase this. He was the most average of average quarterbacks last year. And that was year one of him being a starter. There were a couple of games where it got really ugly, specifically against K-State. Yep. That was... Where he tore his shoulder. Abysmal. Just a terrible football game by Brady Cook. Especially down the stretch, though, like the rest of the way, he kind of figured it out. And it really helped when they decided, oh, our quarterback's incredibly athletic. Maybe we should start using him as an athlete. And when that happened, 55 yards on the ground, 105 yards on the ground, 71 yards on the ground, 140 yards on the ground, 40 yards on the ground. Like, yeah, Eli, that's what you need to be doing here. And so um, I, I have a little bit more optimism, I think, than the biggest pessimists about what Brady can be. And then it comes down to, okay, if Brady does take that step, is the offensive line there for him? and are the receivers up to stuff. Because you're going to need a good supporting cast because even with my optimism surrounding Brady or Sam, like if Sam beats him out, then that means that he's better. Um, so my optimism would be there for Sam Horn, you would think as well. Um, even if those guys do take a bit of a step forward, they need a supporting cast because these guys aren't Cam Newton. They're not Tim Tebow. They're not going to elevate the rest of the roster around them the way that the best of the best can. Also, Brady didn't throw an interception the last five games of the year. Didn't throw an interception after October. That's worth pointing out. Um, so, also, Bush Shannon was calling those plays. So, it's a good thing Kirby Moore is coming at because Eli, blah, gross. All right. So, Brady Cook's QB1 headed into fall camp. That'll start next week. We'll see how that develops over time. Uh, but to the play calling specifically, and going back to a little bit to the SEC media days, I thought it was really interesting to see the dichotomy of two coaches. One coach who does seem capable of learning from mistakes and being comfortable with who he is, and the other one who very much does not seem to be that way. And of course, I'm talking about Eli Drinkwitz and the Tim Gajillion Dollar Man himself, Jimbo Fisher. So take these two quotes, BK, both asked during SEC media days. Eli Drinkwitz was asked about his play calling. Simple question. He hired an offense coordinator. He was an offense coordinator. It was like, you had to ask him. So what did Eli say? He said, quote, I do not plan on calling plays. I have no qualms about handing it over to somebody. That's what you need to say. He had a little bit more after that, but like, that was the point. I'm not calling plays. I have no problem with somebody else doing it. That's why he hired Kirby Moore. Now, contrast that to Jimbo Fisher, who, again, was an offensive coordinator, called his own plays successfully for many, many years, and maybe forced to hire an offensive coordinator by the uh, the uh, the Aggie gangsters over there 
in College Station. So what did Jimbo Fisher say? They asked him if, if he or Bobby Petrino will be calling plays. So Jimbo said, I'm not going to get into what we're doing and how we're doing it. I'm not trying to avoid anything, but I just don't want to create advantages or create narratives out there as to what goes on. Okay. He followed up with, he's a tremendous coach and a tremendous guy, a tremendous football mind, tremendous recruiter. He's done a great job recruiting since he's been here. Hopefully he'll call the game. He'll have some suggestions on things we do, whether it's offense or defense. What the hell is that? Can you just say I messed up? I'm getting paid $10 billion to win football games, and this is going to help me win a football game. BK, blew me away. What are your thoughts? So this is one of those things where we've been critical at times of Eli Drinkwitz for some of the stuff that he says, right? I will give credit where it's due. I'm happy to do so, in fact. And Eli Drinkwitz deserves some credit here. I was skeptical that he would be willing to do what he has done. But he has taken a more measured approach to the offseason. He's saying fewer inflammatory things. Not zero, but fewer inflammatory things. And he decided to make the one move that really needed to be done. He handed over the play-calling duties, handed over the offense to a guy that is more than qualified to take on that role. I don't know what it's going to look like this year. It may be a disaster. Maybe we look back on it and say the biggest regret of the Eli Drinkwitz era was handing over play-calling duties to Kirby Moore. It's possible. I would doubt it. I'd be surprised. (laughs) But, like, it's technically possible. Like, maybe you get him out of that Fresno State situation and we're like, oh, good situation. They had a borderline pro quarterback, an NFL wide receiver, and his offense was basically throw the football to that NFL wide receiver on a down-by-down basis. Um, It's possible that ends up being the case. I don't think so, though. I think he's a pretty good coach, and I think he's got a pretty good system that he's going to be bringing to Mizzou. So credit to Eli Drinkwitz for being willing and for sucking up some of his pride into motion to go ahead and make the right decision. Meanwhile, Jimbo Fisher remains a dinosaur and is incapable of making what is very clearly the necessary choice. I think he's made that decision. He just doesn't want to announce it publicly because he has too much pride and he wants to take on the credit. When people, when they do winning, if they win this year, he wants to be the guy that helps them win. And if they do some losing, guess what? I bet you'll see some leaks on who's calling that offense. <laughs> you know, like it's suddenly going to be reported and it's going to be leaked of, Hey, we all know who's calling those plays, right? That ain't Jimbo. Old Jimbo's over here waiting in the wings, ready to take back over anytime I'm needed. Jimbo with his massive trapper keeper of papers, with all his plays, just like rifling through them, trying to find the right play. This the play clock just melts down to nothing. I'm like, my God. I, you know, look, the Bobby Petrino offense, like Bobby Petrino as a person is not a good person. Anybody who has worked with him will tell you that he's not, Bob's not a good dude. He does improve your offense almost overnight. You got about three years with him and then he goes and crashes a motorcycle or just burns the place down. So he, he is going, he's good with offense. It's also a very simplistic offense. The terminology is very complicated. He uses a lot of NFL terminology, but if you can get it, you're good. 
You also benefited from some one-of-a-kind offensive talents of a generation, including one Lamar Jackson. So I don't know if that exists out in A&M, but we'll see. Point is, yes, Jimbo is a dinosaur. Yes, he wants all the credit. Yes, he was going to go so far as to not say the thing that everyone just wants to simply say. Then he's going to insinuate that Bobby Petrino is going to insist on defense and the defensive court. Eli did it well. Jimbo did it poorly. And our guys learned him. I love it. I, I am okay if you got to be boring and let your team talk. Uh, you can say you can get loose and fun when, when you start winning. And it really, at the end of the day, just don't give them headlines. Don't give them headlines. And he didn't. And Jimbo did. So that's a win. Go Tigers. It's about time. That's the other thing. Um, I think Eli Drinkwitz is learning what it means to be it. And, and I'm not trying to like speak down to him. Um, but I think it took a little while for Eli to figure out what it means to be a head coach in the SEC. I think it was an adjustment for him. And I, I honestly think it took some humbling. Like, this is a really hard job. And you can't just come in at a place like Mizzou and dominate. Like, you think about the path that Drinkwitz took to Mizzou. He was expedited in a way that very few football coaches are. I mean, he went from Arkansas State to Boise State to NC State to, boom, one year at App State, which is a ready-made program, like, turn the key and let's go. And he just didn't mess it up. And then he's ready to go at Mizzou. So I can understand if you come into that thing thinking, hey, look at my success. Like, I, I'm i going to get here and we're going to win eight, nine, ten games right away. I'm going to fix this offense. What could go wrong, right? And then when he sees that it's a lot harder to get this thing figured out than it was to have that success in year one at App State or to get the offense going with a successful college quarterback and a superstar running back for three straight years at NC State, like, it's a little tougher here at Mizzou. So I think it took a little while, but he has finally figured out what it means to be confident and to be able to have your fun, but to not cross that line. So we'll see if he's able to sustain that. Yeah. And he's got a whole season to back it up. So it'll be good. Uh, last thing before we get out of here, just in honor of BK, uh, who was a newly minted dad. I'm curious. And if you all want to chime in on the YouTube comments, I'd love to hear it too. But what, what is the most dad thing you do? Right? Because now, now you are officially one. So you've got, you know, you got the certificate and everything. And really, you know, again, fatherhood, daddom can be a state of mind rather than just even a, a role that you have. But I'm curious. You got you got two weeks under your belt. Either before little Luca came into the world or now, what is the most dad thing that you do? The other day I woke up, Nate. Got myself some coffee. Walked outside onto my front stoop. And just stood there. Oh my God. And looked at my yard. <laughs> Just stood there. Nothing more. Didn't say anything to anybody. There was nobody to talk to. Just looked out, nodded my head, took a minute out there, and what came you, back inside. What were you wearing? Oh, basketball shorts and a t shirt. 
Okay, because Robe would have completed this. No, I don't, my... I don't own a Robe. I don't oh, own a Robe. I wasn't Tony Soprano out there. Like, this wasn't a, a situation where I'm walking to the front of the of the drive to pick yeah. up the newspaper or anything like that. But yeah, that's that's probably the most the most dad thing that I've got going with me right now. It's just the uh, the yard is is something that I've taken some pride in. Okay, so, okay, pride pride in the. Yard. I would say that's that's number one on the list. What would you put at the top of your list, Nate? Well, I can't decide. I should probably bring my wife and my kids in here to tell me what the most dad thing I do is. I got, I got three. I'm going to give you three. Okay. Number one, I have strong opinions about how the garden hose is wound up. Strong opinions on how we put away the garden hose. Sure. Um, can't tell you where that came from. It just, I just born with it. Baby. It happens sometimes, man. I know. I've got strong opinions about the specific way that my fold, that my clothes need to be folded. Like if they're if they're folded in the incorrect way, yeah, they need to be redone. <laughs> so garden hose, yeah, I'll put that in number three. Number two, I watch the entire Band of Brothers series once a year, starting on June sixth, also known as D Day. I can't. It's, that, it's a that's a good one. That's a good one. I have been doing that since I got the box set for Christmas in 2002. And I have been doing that every single year, and it still gets me every single time. So that's. I'll put that in number two. Number one thing I do is I turn off the lights in the house with a vengeance. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I want them off while I'm in the house. Yeah, same. Doors closed, lights off. Can we please close the doors, by the way? What's going on? Why doesn't anybody close doors now? What happened to all of us? We we live in a society. I don't know. I never realized doors were wide open. I mean, are, you, are we talking talk front door or back door? Closet door. Closet doors at all times. Just, I don't understand why. It's just, it can be three o'clock in the afternoon. It can be midnight. You walk by, you might have closed it five minutes ago. It's open. Nobody's done anything. I don't know how or why it's open, but it's open. And then it just continues to be open. So you could do like, you can do some really great experiments around the house of like partially keeping it. Yeah. It, oh boy. It's baffling. I, I mean, I, no, I work from home. So the second the, the wife and kids are out, I'm all over the house, just turn off every single line as fast as I can. Even like to your point, even when they're, you know, if we leave the kitchen, Hey, can we turn the light off? Kids, can we t- remember to turn the light off? You know, you turn on the, on the hallway light to go upstairs. I'm right behind, turn it off. Like, I, I have never done, I've never said this out loud. So I'm not at that point yet, but I have thought in my head, what do you got stuck in the electric company? I haven't said it out loud yet, but I know I'm going to slip at some point. So, Garden Hose, Band of Brothers, Lights. I am fully dead. You, you are on I've got it. I'm on it. I, I need to get some new, uh, well, not new, but like 2006 New Balance. I'm on it. Man. You got to get out of eBay. Well, that, that New Balance redesign is pretty sleek, man. I don't know. Hey, their new stuff's good. I, I wear them for uh, for running shoes, but that, it doesn't hit the same way. It, it does not. The, same way. the all whites. Mm. Chef's oh, oh, 06 was a, yeah, it was a down here for hit and be. Uh, man, that is, heck yeah. Well, that's it. That's all I got. Are, are you good? Are, have you said your piece? Are you back officially? You good to go? Oh, I'm good. Yeah. Um, I, I love that Nate Edwards is bought into the 2023 Missouri Tigers. That can only mean one thing. 
horrible, horrible thing just happen this right year. in the tank. Yeah. Right. Just for Mizzou fans, be fully prepared for this season to tank because of Nate Edwards. And you can blame him. You should, in fact, blame him for whatever comes our way this season. All of the stupidity, the nonsensical decisions by Eli Drinkwitz, they're Nate's fault. They're Nate. He didn't go for it on fourth and two from the 25, the plus 25, because of Nate. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I put this evil in the world. That's that's my role. You know? That ridiculous fourth down play that they run, that they're going to run again this year, let's be honest, it's going to be in the playbook. That's Nate. It's Nate. They're going to try to draw him off sides. And guess what? They're going to run it. And it's going to be the same play four times in a row. It's on you. That you I, I hope I hope that play was the first thing that Kirby Moore ripped out and peed on. Like if you I watched wonder, any tape, like, what are you doing, man? I do wonder if there was part of Drinkwitz that was like like you know how this works, right? If if you had somebody watching your life, your life work on a day-to-day basis, and all of that film is just being shredded apart, right? You because you know this person has been hired to come in and fix whatever it is that went wrong for you. I wonder what the plays were if you had an honest moment with Eli Drinkwitz where he says to himself, yeah, I hope he doesn't rip into me on that one. (laughs) Even though you're the boss. You know, you're the boss and you get the final say, but I I have to imagine there's a few of those that he's like, hmm, yeah, yeah, that was bad. That was bad. We don't have to talk about it. Let's move on here. Man, I, every day I am glad that there's not a camera on me 24-7 or, or just me doing my job, you know. First of all, it would be incredibly boring for all of us. Number one, yes. We just live ridiculously boring lives. Yeah. I mean, Eli Drinkwitz doing that that crappy try and drama offsides on fourth down play is me getting up in the middle of a team meeting on Zoom, blanking my screen and eating shredded cheese. And you, you all sit there going, he's doing that again? He's, this is not a good idea, Nate. This ain't totally. You're going to get called on. Stop eating the shredded cheese. And, like, I'm just going to be sitting there going, oh, God. I, you know, I'm trying to get better. You know, I just one day at a time, one play at a time. Uh, so, yeah, thank God. Thank God I don't have cameras. I'd be a massive disappointment. Um, but, hey, speaking of massive disappointments, the show's over. We're done. Uh, we're not going to be back next week, but we'll be back the week after that. Uh, that, but we will get into fall camp at that point. We'll be mere weeks away from the season starting and seeing if the evil I put out in the world actually gets happening and, and then we'll see how the Tigers do. So that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment. Give us a rate. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and our podcasting outlet at Rockin' Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Beep. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, We are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, And if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. 
So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Uh, Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks. Thanks.